this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 189. We're recording on Thursday, December 22nd. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky. We're coming to you from bookriot.com. It's our year in review show. Whoop! Uh, and... I, this is how we did it last year and the year before. Mm-hmm. I think we've done the, sort of the superlative show where we yeah. make up we make up a superlative uh, for in different categories, and uh, we may uh, may have created the category to fit the story. Oh, That's something maybe. that might have happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're going to run through some of the. You'll you'll remember all these stories. I'm sure they're the ones that usually got the A slot in uh, after we did a sponsor and the initial read. Um, that's what we're talking about. It's been. Well, let's do our sponsor. We can do sort of an overview of what the year, the kind of year it's been in the book world. Everything else is, of course, um, a flaming swamp of sewage. But yeah, this is the, world, the superlative for this year is the year we are happiest to be saying goodbye to. Yes, it's very, very, very in my in my waking, you know, conscious life as uh, you know, post eight or nine when you actually start remembering things. I don't quite remember a year which everyone was like, oh God, like even. Even September 11th, so that was 2001. It wasn't the year; it was the thing, and everything else. In 2008, when we had the the housing bubble, I don't. It doesn't seem like it was attributed to this year. Anyway, yeah. uh, Tell me about our first sponsor. Our first sponsor this week is Playster, and this is perfect for the holidays. It's perfect, especially for the winter months when we're sitting inside and you need a lot to occupy your time and your mind. Playster, it's the world's first all-in-one entertainment service. For everything, it has ebooks, it has audiobooks, it has music, it has movies, it has TV shows, it has games, and it gives you unlimited access to millions of titles for one flat monthly fee. You don't have to mess around with a credit system. There are no restrictions. That's unlimited audiobooks and ebooks for one flat monthly fee. You can access Playster through all of your web browsers, through their Android or iOS apps, and on virtually any device. There's also an offline mode, so you can save all your favorites for on-the-go reading when there's no internet access around, which is really awesome. Normally, when you sign up, you would get a free 30-day trial with Playster. But because you are here at Book Riot and it is extra awesome, you get a 90-day trial. So that's three months using our special code BOOKRIOT90, all smushed together, one word. So again, you go to Playster.com, you sign up using the code BOOKRIOT90, you're going to get 90 days of unlimited ebooks, audiobooks, access to movies, TV, musics, games, you name it, you can put all of your media consumption in one spot. They have tons of options. Even just in the uh, artwork that they sent us, along with these talking points, you could read The Nest by Cynthia Dupree Sweeney. You could read The Sun is Also a Star by Nicola Yoon. You could read Heartless by Marissa Mayer. You could read Scrappy Little Nobody by Anna Kendrick. You could listen to those on audiobook. You can just check out so many things. So again, go to playster.com, use the code BOOKRIOT90 to get a free 90-day trial, and get on down with your bad ebook and audiobook listening self. All right. So we're, as, as, as is our want, we're going to start in methodology corner with our best use of statistics, our award for the best use of statistics. This is the – we call the golden spreadsheet award. Oh, yes. Um, so this is for – and I think this is a few weeks ago we talked about this. Uh, mm-hmm. Actually, yeah, October 27th is the byline from 538. This is uh, Emily, Emily St. John Mandel's post over there about looking at the statistics about using girl – in the title of books. Yes. And um, I believe this is the first time that we have given the Golden Spreadsheet Award because in most years, the only like publishing related entities that use stats in a way that's not crazy making is the Pew uh, Center. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And that comes out every year. Hard to give it, you know, the mm-hmm. Lifetime Achievement Award for right. stats, I guess, could go to Pew. More um, Emily uh, Mandel and the staff at um, 538 did is they mined Goodreads data for. Um, look for books with girl in the title and then looked at a little bit more than that about whether or not the the titular girl was actually a girl or more like a woman and then what happened to her um the titular <laughs> girl by the end of the book and then what happened to her based on the gender of the author 
So, for example, um, in 90% of books by female identifying authors, the girl ends up okay, alive, 60, alive. Mm-hmm. Um, with male authors, that's 68%. Uh, and 17% of the time they're dead and 15% they're still or become missing or lost, uh, which is about a third as much, uh, three times as much mm-hmm. as, as women. So that's really interesting. Um, what else from this? What else from this one did you find interesting? Remind me again. What's your favorite? Uh, I remember talking uh, extensively about how two thirds of the time the girl character is actually a woman and talking about the way that uh, female right. characters get packaged and what happens when we talk about women as juvenile um, and that much more often women authors have girl in the title um, there's not a breakout here for you know books with characters uh, that are girls so we don't get to see like an equal number yeah. of books by men and books by women have main characters that are women but the female authors get girl in the title more often but it's mm-hmm. like 80 percent, almost 79 percent of the book titles with girl in them are um, authored by women so that is Interesting. I think the stuff about what happens to to the girl yeah. uh, is is really the most interesting, juiciest stat to chew on uh, here, and, and sort of the use of uh, women in peril as entertainment, and the discrepancies between uh, the value, perhaps, that male authors would place on that, and that uh, women would place on it who experience the peril themselves. Yeah, interestingly, um, female authors have girl in the title more often. Mm-hmm. 79% to 21%. Um, I guess that's not a surprise. I mean, I guess that we don't get the intermediate right. stat of men that have a female main character yeah. versus women. You know, there's not a ratio um, of books written by, you know, how many of these books are men and how many of books by women. But something we all know and have noticed is the rise in that level. Uh, the top level story is the increase in mm-hmm. the, in the inclusion of girl in the title of books. This goes back to 95. Um, in 2015, um, about 0.6% of all books had girl in the title that rose to 0.8% of the books released through October of 2016. Um, actually more like, looks like more like almost 0.9% there. And that's up since 95 when just over 0.2%. So somewhere between a four, you know, a three and a half to four and a half times increase since 95. Um, and really it had doubled already by the time Girl with a Dragon Tattoo came out in Sweden in 2005. And I think a lot of us Mm -hmm. would use that in our own mental model of this story of that being the first one that we can remember. Yeah. Um, so that's, and, that's interesting right, as well. And really, I have a quibble with that because when it came out in 2005 in Sweden, the title in Swedish is Men Who Hate yes. Women. Uh, mm. So there's not a girl in the, in the Swedish book title. So I think this really started happening in 2008 in the US right. when The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo came out. And it's just remarkable and bonkers to me that almost 1% of the books coming out in 2016 have girl in the title. Like that sounds like a tiny percentage, but try to yeah. think of another word that's not an article that comes up in one percent of all book titles yeah that would be super interesting like i guess what like could we compare it to boy say i mean Mm, if we compare mm -hmm. it to boy or man or woman or you know what else do you even see uh missing gone right uh those are the other ones um that go along there circus i feel like there's a lot of circus (laughs) um life and time yeah paris you know, it like it'd, be, it'd be interesting to know. Um, man, yeah, did I say that already? So yeah, so and, and really between 2005 2008, that's good that you mentioned that. that there's really it was kind of flat. It, it had mm-hmm. plateaued at about 0.4 percent. Then 2010, before two years before Gone Girl debuted, there was a little uptick, and then since then it's it's gone nearly parabolic. I would expect, you know, as these parabolic charts often happen, there'll, there'll be a real spike and then it'll crater. And probably it'll be at a higher rate than it was. The resting rate will probably be somewhere above 0.2%. But I don't think we're going to be at 1% of books forever. I, I, I just don't see that that's sustainable. Yeah. And people start to see their, their sales dip and – Anyway, yeah, that, I don't. I don't think we're going to see it forever either. We had Gone Girl, then there was Girl on the Train, and this year there were like all the missing girls and where have the girls gone and yeah, uh, right. something that didn't have Girl in the title. Oh, 
good is gone, like stuff still riding that trend. But I think we're kind of at the, I think we are approaching seeing the last round of books get published that are attempts to piggyback on girl on the train. Right, um, right, so right, right. If you I, own yeah. stock in girl title books, I think you'd want to be selling pretty quick. Yeah, you know, if you're I, counting on that to give you dividends past 2017, I would yeah. say probably not so much. Say if you were hoarding them like Hatchimals and we're going to sell them on eBay, <laughs> I'd, I'd say now's the time to get rid of them. I almost put that story on this agenda. It's too re- it recent. It was so could, recent, yeah, exactly, so but by far the most unusual puzzling uh, puzzling author story. story of the year can we go on to most muppet unworthy yes. book deal announcement uh, i i get i, I we are um, doing a document on um, book riot contributors and staff of uh, a post of our most anticipated books of 2017 i was sure to be uh johnny on the spot there Speaking so i could grab it. i could grab origin is it origin yeah origin yeah. by dan brown september 26th coming out september 26th uh, here's what it about. It's, 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 it's Bobby Langdon again, Bobby, your friend, his friends call that. Uh, <laughs> Can you uh, imagine Bobby? Bobby no, Bobby, he's far Bobby too serious. Um, Bobby McNamara, uh, into the Dane follows Langdon into the dangerous intersection of humankind's two most enduring questions and the earth shaking discovery that will answer them. So we don't know what the questions are. Um, you know, the title and that's like, where did we all come from? Why and are we here? Why are we here? Who did it? Um, you know, why, why, why are mattresses so expensive? Uh, that could be one. I'm not sure. We don't have Casper uh, on this episode, Jeff. I know. I was looking for something else. To, <laughs> there's no, I'm a, I'm a seg in search of a way. Um, <laughs> according to Doubleday, there are over 200 million copies of Dan Brown's books in print worldwide. And only 25 million of them are in my house. <laughs> I, was gonna, I don't know if you, know if you said, what's the over-under on um, the number of Dan Brown books in print? I, I, and you uh, you said it's 200 million. I think I would have taken over. I would have guessed mm, more. Than, mm-hmm. But that's just in print. I don't know. They they say that stuff, right? They say in print, but they don't tell us. That's a lot. There's a lot of audiobooks and ebooks and, uh, you know, don't get me started on statistics uh, in terms of sales. Don't, We're I not doing a segment on not, ebook pricing today. <laughs> ebook pricing, audiobook pricing. Don't worry, guys. I'm, want, I'm winding up for audiobook pricing. And if we really want to get granular, also how you found out about new releases, I was looking for something this morning, <laughs> and uh, the the BR staff was subject to my mini tirade about, I don't know why it has to be like uh, the Zapruder film to try to find out what books are coming out n- next summer. I don't, I don't understand it, but I you know works. I think this is probably the most exciting of all possible yes. Dan Brown subjects for mm-hmm. a Robert Langdon book. Like if you were to give me a, a menu and ask me to choose. I say sort of the beginning creationism, the Genesis and the Bible, that kind of stuff that's ripe uh, for his, you know, for his kind of uh, his story. I'm looking forward to it. And again, we always get questions. This is not ironic. We love him. Completely (laughs) earnest affection for for Dan Brown. Yes. Um, That's not to say it's uh, unqualified, but it is earnest. Um, I am eagerly anticipating Inferno coming out on DVD in January. I may have had that marked on my calendar. When I can rent that, um, so Michelle and I can watch it. That's a good together. caper. That's a good caper. So Dan Brown, September 26th uh, in the fall. Uh, you pr- probably not the last you've heard about it. From I us. should like fly to Portland for that, and we could go to Powell's and then sit yes. and not speak Get to each other all day. Donuts and coffee. And yes. Read the book. Do a I thing. Like we'll have a silent it. reading party on Dan Brown Day. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> it would be amazing. I think I could only be more excited if it were if he were solving some sort of literary mystery. You know, like every year right. there's one of those things. Like like Robert oh, Langdon is going to figure like, out where Cervantes' bones are. Yeah, Cervantes' bones. Did Shakespeare actually exist? Maybe tie them together. I don't know. Mm. You know, uh, it could even maybe maybe it could be. Did Harper Lee want any of this crap? How that for a segue? That is an excellent segue. My brain was searching for how to segue that, but you were just right. (laughs) You're right on it. This is a recent story, but we do have to mention it because it is the most predictable bad idea of the year. Is the creation of the Harper Lee Trail, which is slated for development in Harper Lee's hometown of Monroeville, Alabama. Uh, The coalition of local businesses, led by, of course, Harper Lee's late lawyer Tanya Carter, uh, is going to be opening. In March. Oh, she's still alive. She her 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 lawyer. 
her. The late, oh yeah, said, yes. Yeah, yeah, that was a little, you know, weird modifier. Well, she's I mean, still alive. <laughs> maybe that's a Freudian slip. Yeah, maybe, um, maybe, maybe. Yeah, Tanya Carter is still alive. She's still, still kicking alive. while Harper Lee probably rolls in her grave over this. Uh, that they're going, they're hoping to attract hundreds of thousands of fans to Monroeville, which skeptical face goes here uh to a 1909 bank building where harper lee's father worked um and he was the model for atticus finch uh her father kept a law office in the bank building so it will be refurbished and turned into a dedicated museum in monroeville which was the model for makeham in the book and there will also be three replicas of houses built um for the homes that feature in the novel including the homes of scout and the home of boot radley and there can't really be replicas, right? I mean, it, yeah, it has to be. Replica is a weird choice of words know. here. Yeah, it's, it's isn't a replica. It's a it's staging, a, a staging yes, or something. Yeah, you know? so they're staging the, uh, the the homes from the house. And we talked about like you could do a cool thing, like you could put on yeah. the forthcoming uh, To Kill a Mockingbird play in the town square of Monroeville or something. But this like sort of contrived it's not sort of uh-huh. contrived it's 100 percent contrived um tourist attraction like parade people through a thing that's not actually historic except for this bank building um to make money off of harper lee is just icky michelle and i were talking about the story after the episode she listened to the episode and she doesn't like it and i was thinking about it later there's there's there, there's something they could do something to redeem this a little bit in my eyes mm. and that's kind of like they do with some museums where even even that are, you know, uh, unabashedly um, championing some idea. They could talk about the history of racial segregation yeah. in the South and the current and the future. I mean, that's mm-hmm. something that I think would get a lot of, you know, that that would get some plaudits for me and other people that maybe are are wondering if this is just a naked cash grab. You know, that they could do something else like this is, you know, the story of what what are the backstory? What are the actual statistics? What is the history of the people um, that are sort of represented in this book, but not really, but also the engine of the narrative. Yeah. Um, how's it, how did it change Arpur Lee's own racial politics? I, I think if you did that way, you could, you could make it more than Harper Lee land. It could mm-hmm. be a, a tribute and a living museum um, to the, the, art, the work of art and its right. context. And you could do some like a look at to kill a mockingbird in other media and like the yes. ways that 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 the book and the story and the movie have influenced the development of other stories, all of the many things that refer to Atticus Finch when they're talking about civil rights. Um, there's there is room to do something uh, yeah, really right. interesting there. But this just this is just not it's just not it. Um, yeah, I think there's more likelihood. I, I think that's very unlikely they'll do something like this. I think it's more likely that they're going to have an animatronic Harper Lee greet you and saying, I wanted all of this. I wanted all of this. Right. This is all fine. <laughs> It'll be like one of those uncanny valley kind of robots. Like yes, they have right, 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 Disney right. World. Like Abe Lincoln at uh, Disneyland. Yeah, exactly. You know, like that. Oh. Um, speaking of marketing stuff, we really don't oh want. Um, this, I had forgotten this and now I'm annoyed this, about yeah, it. Yeah, I had too. You, you dropped it in. Um, this is our most... Uh, of the literary publicity prizes we don't want to win, this would be number one um, or last on the prize we do want to win. However, you'd like to keep track at home of what Rebecca and I do and do not want to win. It's up to you. (laughs) Um, This was the Sleep Revolution sweepstakes. It was a partnership uh, cobbled together between um, the publisher of the Sleep Revolution, uh, which I think is PRH, I'm not sure, Ariana Huffington herself, Airbnb and JetBlue, where for a book about sleeping, what you got to do was go on an airplane to Las Vegas, um, and which, as we said, is maybe what you would do if the uh, book was about the in, the virtues of insomnia. Like mm-hmm. it was a completely opposite is what you would do. You get, uh, you'd have to fly uh, to New York City first, then fly to Las Vegas because on the flight from New York to Las Vegas, you get to talk to Ariana Huffington uh, or you discuss as we discuss her new book. It's like a, it's like a, the the Mile High Book Club. Actually, that sounds like something else. Um, <laughs> Sleep Revolution, a thousand dollar credit for an Airbnb property in Las Vegas, and and weirdly, just two signed copies of the, uh, the, the. They put that last. They don't know much about how you're or uh, rhetorically supposed to assemble a list. Usually, in the last position, you put the things that's most desirable. Uh, you really go out with a whimper, <clears throat> not a bang in this one. 
So just very curious. It feels like it feels like someone like, yeah, we could do this and we can get JetBlue and we can maybe where do you want to go? Las Vegas? I don't it's it's all it's all a mystery and it just turned into uh, uh you know a camel, you know, which is a horse designed yeah. by a committee. This was a camel uh, uh, publicity promotion here. It totally, totally was. Like none of this makes any sense no. at all. And I don't even know how the marketing meeting goes for this other than it is just 100% a camel because you would think like there's a there's a universe where you could imagine, okay, so the book is about sleep and yeah. maybe we like rent out a spa and we fly people to this mm -hmm. like quiet spa place and we, you know, do a workshops with sleep experts and Ariana Huffington comes in and talks about her book and then you get to like sleep quietly in this spa place for a few days right yeah or, or send them some casper mattresses they should have gone to casper not jeff yes because then i'm giving casper the that just says just free plugs for casper <laughs> i mean because when i think about the things that make me sleep the worst mm -hmm. it's these three things someone else's bed you know a, a different bed yep. and traveling um and then talking about books on planes yeah. i mean actually that i don't know about that one i'm just assuming <laughs> like going somewhere I mean, could you pick a worse destination no. for sleeping than Las Vegas? I remember being like, right? why Las Vegas? What are they? What is yeah. this? Why? Or like, They should it, fly to like Helsinki where it's like nighttime all the time. Or it should have been in, in a winter. flight in the other direction. Like this should have at least been a red eye. Like get on the plane and sleep. Yeah. Or, or one of those like, you know, those like um, those ads you see for those 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 first class or whatever they call them that you can actually lay down. Mm -hmm. You know, you get you get two of those twenty thousand dollar. Um, tickets to Abu Dhabi or wherever, yeah. and you get to sleep on the plane, and you wake up, and you're there, and whatever. Oh, there's my there's my uh, alarm that I need to shut off. Um, so anyway, a real curious one. Um, not exactly sure how this came together, I but I want to know how many people uh, entered this thing. I don't know. I, I really, I, I really don't know. And uh, I'd like to know. I wonder if they've. So this was back in March. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say what the dates are or anything like this. Um, yeah. Anyway, there, there's, there's that. All right. Where do you want to go? Where do you want to go next? Let's do. Let's go. We're kind of going up and down. Let's go back up. Let's yeah. Go let's back. go back up. So this is our hero of the year story, and yep. it is a multi-part story. We talked first back in the spring about uh, Marley Diaz, who had launched a thousand black girl books as a hashtag, um, intended then to uh, be a book drive to collect collect stories of women of color so you could donate books and she would distribute them she's like 11 years old um that took off she got a big feature on buzzfeed and uh, the organization is doing really well and then we talked recently as in her follow-up about how she has been brought on as an editor at l.com uh to to work with them she is an 11 year old girl like leading editorial meetings and writing about how books change people's lives and addressing issues of racial inequality and it's really amazing i mean i would watch a netflix documentary following her around also i'd watch sort of a netflix tv show that's sort of loosely based on what if an 11 year old was the editor of like teen vogue or something like yeah, that it's right? like a... yeah you know like or it's like younger but the other way mm -hmm. Right. Um, That's exactly so, uh, what I was going to say. Oh, is that what I'm sorry? I stepped on you. I stepped on your line there. Um, so well done. Well done. Well I don't know what else to Marley. say. Well done. Yeah. It's cool to follow the story of the year because we got several, you know, um, uh, new additions to the story kind of followed it mm -hmm. as along, along. So this was from September that was announced she was going to be an editor at L. Probably um, by the end of your show next year, it'll just be Marley on this podcast talking about. Yeah. Marley's book club. <laughs> It'll be, she'll she'll replace Oprah as the uh, the the signature mover of um, books from from the world of I entertainment. Here interviews. for the Oprah of the tween set for book recommending. That's a thing we need. <sighs> yeah, I mean, I think we talked a little bit last time. Well, no, it was when we were talking about Teen Vogue's political coverage mm -hmm. and Tabby Gevinson, mm -hmm. right? Like, yeah, she she has gotten more into acting and stuff. It seems recently than when she was full throttle at rookie. And I don't pay attention to it super closely, so maybe this is wrong. But there was a moment where it felt like she really could be mm -hmm. that person, and she's kind of taken her career in a different direction, more towards you know, a performer, um, which is fine. I mean, great, yeah. great for her. Um, but that was one. Yeah, who on the teens? I mean, you always think it, you, you almost need a crossover from a different 
you you need like music or movies or someone like that because Oprah came from television basically. Right. Well, like uh, if, like if Taylor Swift would get woke, she could probably yeah. have a similar recommending power. Um, Emma right. Watson is doing stuff, but but it's she's not, not quite selling. As... She's not trying to sell books, right? That's right. kind of not what she's doing. Um, well, yeah, Beyonce, that's, that's but not if Beyonce had a book club, we would all just quit our jobs because. Well, be you know, I I do wonder because the other thing about Oprah is that she was speaking to the most likely book buyer, which is white women in their forties. Like that's your if, if you're going to just you know that in America at least that's the typical. It's not typical. It's what's the mode, right? The yeah. mode is the uh, so. In a way, you'd need someone that speaks to that audience because I think it still is. And does Taylor Swift do that? Does Beyonce do? I don't know who Ellen DeGeneres. Maybe oh, I'm yeah. not. No, I'm. I don't really know right now who'd be. Or like um, Kathy Lee but, and Hoda. Yeah, I don't even know what your. I don't even know what those words <laughs> I'll just, are. I'll just make some sounds. It's fine. But yeah. Okay. Um, so yeah. So we look. We 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 look forward to following her career with great interest. Um, already remarkable. Yeah. Good job. We're gonna Marley. take our next our next our second sponsor spot. We're gonna take for ourselves. And I, some of you probably subscribe to Book Riot newsletters. I, I don't know if you do, but we have a bunch of them. And over the last year, we've launched a whole bunch more. Um, I write one every – almost. I don't really – it's not really written, but it's our Book Riot Deals newsletter where every day I pick a great book deal and you can get it as an email. You can subscribe to it there. We have a whole slate of email newsletters that we're promoting. But as sort of a motivation to get you to click the link, we're also, if you enter and sign up for one of our newsletters, you're going to be entered in to win a $250 Barnes & Noble gift card. We'll just randomly pick someone that signed up and send it out to them uh, over, you know, once we, the, the giveaway ends December 31st of this year. So before you kiss somebody at midnight, make sure you're signed up to get some newsletters. Um, also, the other thing is, that's that's going on over the site. You know, there's news, we're taking some of our own sponsored spot, but there's also a secret bonus podcast listeners only giveaway use the same url and you're automatically entered for this but one of the podcast listeners will win a di- for sure a 50 dollar barnes and noble gift card so you could get picked for both or you could get picked for just the barnes and noble 50 that's just for podcast listeners here's the url you go to bookriot.com slash bn i i wrote this myself i did and i take some cues from our other sponsors you'll make it a simple url that people can remember also there'll be a link in the show notes but also i'm going to put the link in the i don't know what we call this like the description i guess when yeah. you pull up on um, the show on our, your podcatcher or, or uh, if you use um overcast or instacast or just the native apple client you know you can see the description and then the sponsors but you can click right there bookriot.com slash barnes and noble we've got podcasts about audiobooks um Mystery thriller. We've got ones coming out about that haven't launched yet about romance, nonfiction. Uh, let's see, uh, sci-fi fantasy. Um, if you want to keep up with the weekend books on Monday morning, Amanda writes that one. Uh, it's it's just you know what's going on in the last week in, in books. Liberty writes our new books newsletter that all the books the podcast grew out of, mm-hmm. which was a, a Tuesday email. That's here's the book she thinks people would be most interested in finding out or new. That's something that's actually still very hard to find. Um, so you can take a look there at, at bookriot.com slash BN. You can sign up, enter once, enter all of them. If you're already signed up for one and you still want to enter the giveaway, just sign up for the one you're already entered for. And our email server is smart enough not to send you dupe emails. So go ahead and enter, even if you get a newsletter already, if you want get a chance to win that. Um, I guess it would be a $300 worth of Barnes and Noble gift card possibly, or at least 50. Um, thanks you guys so much for listening to the show. Thanks to us for sponsoring ourselves in this leadership <laughs> inception moment. That's bookriot.com slash BN. Just click the link. Um, and, the and the episode notes you're seeing for the episode there. Okay. Where are we going to go next? Where, oh, where shall we go next? Hmm. Well, we just went, we just went up so we can go back down. We, we can, can go back. Yeah. We can go back down. Or I can. You want me to go back down? Uh, well, I mean, you're going to go back down because this story is going to talk about ebook yeah, pricing. Yeah, that's where we go. So we talked about the 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 head of Penguin and the um, uh, jolly old England. Um, I guess that's not the same as UK, but the charge of the person in charge of uh, Penguin Random House in the UK said, basically, we went too strong for ebooks, um, and they try they spent too much money. They neglected print, neglected print channels. And that um, they have been forced to regroup. Um, so uh, the, let's see, what's her name? Pryor? Joanna Pryor. 
Joanna Pryor. Um, they somehow lost confidence in the power of the words on the page. Sales of ebooks declined in the UK last year, 2.4% to 47.9 million units last year. In 2014, more than 49 million ebooks were sold. Um, so anyway, I, and, and so I guess what we to recap what we said about it is like ebooks didn't eat the world. On the other hand, I think if you had looked at the data, betting on ebooks keep continuing to rise mm-hmm. looked like the right bet. Yeah, and right. and they talk here about uh, in the piece that a prior says that they went shooting after the shiny app thing, and so I remember being like, okay, so was the problem ebooks, or was the problem that they were trying to develop to develop a bunch of apps, like individual book title apps, or was it both? And um, there's a lot of confounding factors. Is this what got me off on the ebook pricing jag? Jeff, I mean, it's not like there's only been one ebook pricing jag. No, that's true. That's true. I'm a walking trigger for ebook pricing (laughs) rants. Um, But but we also, I'm sure, if we did not say it, um, I thought it loudly and vociferously, that the other thing left out of her comments were raising, you know, sort Mm -hmm. of industry-wide apparently non-colluding because they know not to do that and yet all ebook prices are rising to almost the same spots whatever the ebook prices are up like a lot like mm-hmm. i i don't know like 30% like it was not unusual to see new ebooks priced at 999 1199 yeah, it's oh my gosh it's 14.99 now right gosh we price these things in a way that makes them unappealing and we just yeah. don't know why we're not having as much success selling them it also I, I saw- like it seems a little disingenuous because publishers have always had the focus of wanting to maintain those print sales because the margins, yes. the margins, the margins, the margins. So like, just say it that you know you overpriced eBooks so that you couldn't sell as many of them, so you could reify the importance of print. Right. I saw the, I was on Amazon the other day looking at stuff, and I keep getting it keeps recommending the Underground Railroad to me, and even though I bought like three copies of it already. Anyway, whatever it doesn't matter, and the the hardback is sixteen seventy seven or something, um, and the ebook is fourteen ninety nine. Nope. Of the I mean, I I think what got my really my dander up was that I was seeing paperbacks that were cheaper than ebooks, mm-hmm. um, and you can still find that on virtually any you know recent ish um, paperback. But this is now you have ebooks that are within a couple of bucks. Of the price of the hardback, so I don't know. That's did they go to? Did they? But I guess the other thing is, did they really go too hard into eBooks? Like, what did they really do? I, I don't get it. Especially PRH, mm-hmm. like they're the ones that drag their feet most about digital. Like they weren't part of Scribd or Oyster or any of this other crap. Like I, I, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't get it. I yeah, I, I don't think it's, it's a. Bananas. I don't. I don't know if they believe this or not, but I don't believe yeah, this. Yeah, that's a good way of pointing. Do they do they actually believe this? Yeah, that they believe this. It, this is not what's in this story is not the whole story, and so I I am not sure if this is just the story that we are being told, which is one thing. Like if you're telling a false story or an incomplete story for reasons of business i understand how that happens but if this is the story they're telling themselves about why ebooks did not become the thing that they expected can't, that can't be true be, though right can't, uh, i guess it can be it, right, it that, totally, i mean that's the thing that is wor- that's more worrisome yeah. to me is like do they really believe that this is why <sighs> yeah i i don't know i i don't know um <sighs> we better move on before you we better know we better move on we don't know i mean <laughs> They're like we raised price on ebooks. Ebook prices have stalled. Boy, it looks like we screwed up our ebook. I, that doesn't. Yeah. I, I don't. That doesn't make any sense. Um, okay. Okay. Yeah. So moving on. Moving on moving, to how good. this is great. This is this is. I think my this is the most. Well, is it the most fun? I I, I thought one of the most delightful stories. Mm-hmm. Tell me the next one. Do the next one. Uh, so we're talking about Italy, correct? Yes, Italy, yes. we are. We talked uh, back in August about how the Italian government is giving teens 500, I guess that's what is the Italian currency, Lira, Lira um, uh, on yeah. their 18th birthday to spend on books, or which it's a voucher. It can also be spent on film, music, and theater. But functionally, 
Yeah, yeah. the uh, Italian government wants to remind young people to enrich their own lives, and they want to help make that possible. So the initiative launched on September 15th. It's been underway now, and about 575,000 teenagers were expected to benefit from it. So it's costing the Italian government 290 million lira, uh, but they believe it's money well spent. Um, They say the initiative sends a clear message to youngsters, reminding them that they belong to a community which welcomes them once they come of age. And so they can, again, spend it. uh, You claim the fund through an app. Then you download the voucher to your phone, which this is already very forward thinking of how to reach the younger members of your community. And then they can use those vouchers online and at physical stores for books, movies, music, you know, consuming media and culture. And I remember just us being like, this is so good. <laughs> like, Man, pound for pound. I think saying it when we were 18, oh. and we got 500 bones to spend on this. And would you spend it all on books at, at 18? Um, would, or what would your mix have been? I certainly would spend a lot of it on books, but I don't know. Some movies would have been yeah, nice. I mean, I'm probably... still buying CDs. I, it probably would have been like 80% on books, 10 on yeah. movies, 10 on music, something like that. Um, yeah, it's hard to it's hard for people to remember or that were, that didn't know. So I graduated from high school in 96. That's when I was 18. I mean, I was spending 25 bucks, 24.99 per CD mm-hmm. at that point, which seems insane. Isn't now. it? Right. Um, it insane. Can we go back to like 1999 and do a podcast episode about CD pricing? Yeah. Um, and I would have paid, you know, I bought a lot of hardbacks then, you know, 20, I want to say that I felt like hardbacks were like 21, $22, um, for the, you know, the big front list titles. Whereas now they can go up to twenty nine ninety five and higher. Um, forget about audiobooks. The, the, the fireman by Joe Hill is $46. Uh, as an <laughs> anyway, I don't, I'm, Jeff, not, I'm no. not doing it. I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. Um, and so I don't know, but I certainly would have spent some. So I guess you download the vouchers mm-hmm. and the vouchers are, I guess, sort of like food stamps insofar as that they're category specific. Yeah. Like you can't go buy in candy bars with these vouchers. It says certain, you know, ISBNs or uh, SKUs or whatever are barcodes that are can match to it. Um, very cool. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. If any of you listening happen to be in Italy and to have like taken advantage of this or you have kids or nieces and nephews or whoever students that have been able to do this. I'd love to hear more about it. Um, didn't quite make our hero of the week, but, um, one of our celebrity good job book people of the year, Andrew Luck, Indianapolis Colts quarterback, Stanford alum, architectural studies, uh, major at Stanford started the Andrew Luck, Andrew Luck book club, which, you know, he picks, uh, you know, books. Um, so he has now he's updated it where now there's a there's a rookie book for kids and a veteran book for an adults mm-hmm. pick on the website. Right now, the picks are Little House on the Prairie by Laura Ingalls Wilder and then Papillon, um, which I believe interesting is, choice. Yeah. Interesting choice uh, by Henri Chirier, which I believe or Chirier, uh, my French is um, uh, horrendous uh, or horrende, as they say. Um <laughs> Which I believe is the book that uh, Dustin Hoffman movie um, is based on. Yeah, um, it is. Uh, so, and there's a excellent Insta- There's a nice Instagram feed that, or I guess it's really just an image feed that mm-hmm. pulls from people using the Andrew Al Book Club hashtag. Um, see him and other people talking about and reading and sharing the books that they're reading there. Yeah. So. Heck and, of a job. Yeah, it's cool. And he makes little videos. So for each selection, you get to watch a little video of Andrew Luck talking about why he selected the yep. book. Um, interesting guy. Interesting thing. I, I remember we talked a year or two ago about like the story first started coming out that Andrew Luck was just like hanging out with his yes. uh, co-workers, teammates, talking about books and recommending books to people. And so it started being known that he was an avid reader. But I love it that they turned this into an actual thing. Yeah. Um, and then it, it went beyond just a you know, sports figure being a sports figure who likes books to actually, you know, really actively advocating for books and reading. Mm-hmm. Very cool. One, one note for the the team running the Andrew Luck book club. Uh, give me a place to find all the past picks. Ah. Uh, I can see the, I want to see, mm-hmm. you know, I haven't checked in in a while. I'm not actively doing this, but I'd sort of like to see what the other picks are. Yeah, it would uh, be cool. So one, one note, one note for the AL book club hashtag folks. Are you ready to go okay. sad again? Oh, <laughs> our worst or baddest old dude job. Baddest jobs, the- old dudes. This is 
Man, this is just a sad story. It started off as a great story about Robert Morin, who was a librarian for 30 years. Or no, sorry, for 18 years at... um, the University of New Hampshire. He lived very simply. He watched a ton of movies. And when he died, he left $4 million to the University of New Hampshire. He was just this like quiet, beloved guy. Uh, Let's see. He read in chronological order every book published in the United States between 1930 and 1938 as a project. Um, accepting textbooks, children's books, and cookbooks. That is a lot of reading and a really interesting project. He said he spent little on food or clothes. He was 77 when he died in March, and he he surprised everyone with this accumulated savings. So the, the story broke as, this is so awesome. His whole life was the library, and he's left... Yep. $4 $4 million to this university where he spent his life and where he found so much meaning. And then the bad job old dude's turn comes when we find out a few weeks later that the university was going to spend a million dollars of it to buy a new football scoreboard. Yep. Mm-hmm. The, the story's a little confusing because you said 18 years, which is right. It says here, but then below it says 50 years. Oh. So I, I don't know. Anyway. He worked as a cataloger in the university's Diamond Library for almost 50 years. Watched three movies a day. Yeah. So it seems like maybe a new, you know, a professorship in film, Mm -hmm. you know. But a video, I mean, 100,000 was earmarked for the library. That 18-year span. So I guess he did that. Yeah. The 18-year span was wrong. It's just a reference to some of his quirks. And in an 18-year span, he watched 22,000 movies. So at the height of his moving watching yes. uh, prowess. But he, he was, was a doing, librarian doing, there for 50 uh, years. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. And the cataloger, he was writing DVD descriptions and cataloging sheet music. So and two and a half million dollars are going to the student center. You know, great. But a million bucks On a for the University scoreboard. of New Hampshire football football scoreboard. Um, I mean, I can only hope that he would be all right with that. I feel like he wouldn't be thrilled. Um, maybe he loved the school so much that, you know, any, any, uh, buttressing of the school's facility is, is all right by him, but it, it did seem, mm-hmm. it did seem, it seemed, seemed rough because there's $4 million, two and a half to the student center, one to the school scoreboard. So that's three and a half yep. right there. So there's only a half million dollars. They don't even say where that goes to a hundred thousand of it had to go to the diamond mm-hmm. center, but you know, not even a. Not even ten percent, maybe. Not like or, a Robert Morin reading room. Like, come on. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. Multimedia center. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's it's too bad. It's too bad. Um, At guy, least they didn't donate worked, it to, to the Harper Lee Trail. Oh god, guy worked his ass off for fifty years. Um, and was lived frugally. Um, and faithful, faithful servant of the university. And seems like they did him a little dirty at the end. But yep. I, what do I know? Um, all right. This is our ongoing mystery. Because, <laughs> uh, because publishing award. It will remain a mystery. It will remain a mystery because I I, I don't think there's going to be some Dead Sea Scroll that we un, uh, that uh, we unearth that says, why do books come out on Tuesdays? The answer is we don't know. Um, we've talked to booksellers. We've talked to publicists. We've talked to publishers. And the long story short is we don't know why books come out on Tuesdays. It hasn't always been that way. I think it's a mid-century or later development in the book world. It's certainly been since I was old enough to know that books were coming out. Same with CDs and um, video games came out on Tuesdays. And I think they were all following books leads. The best theory we had, Rebecca, we have, Mm -hmm. Rebecca, tell me if this makes sense to you, is that it had something to do with getting stock on the shelves in big box retailers. Your Walmarts, your Barnes & Nobles, your Hastings, your Targets, where they'd get a bunch of inventory – and they do their post-weekend inventory refresh during the day on Monday and Monday overnight. And then so the first time you could get new stuff onto the shelves was for Tuesday morning. And so that became the drop date for new books. 
As, as far as is that, is that our best? Theory? Yeah, that's our best guess. I love this piece from the Star Tribune. And I don't think yes. I was on the episode when you first talked about this. It must have been Amanda right. um, or Jen. It was Jen because I was like, she was a bookseller for a long time. And I asked her and she said she didn't yeah, know. Yeah. So. And so the best part about this piece is that they go and ask a bunch of other people in publishing what their theory is. And everyone's theory is different. Um, someone yes. thinks it has to do about being able to do one day laydowns. And so if you have to ship books all over the country and some of them have to make it to the west coast then you have weekend shipping and monday for unpacking and everything can go on sale on tuesday somebody thinks it has to someone else thinks it has to do with tabulating and reporting the sales you can tabulate the previous week's sales on monday and start fresh on tuesday um someone else points out that they used to release any day of the week and then it got condensed and then the best explanation is from michael reynolds who's the editor-in-chief of europa who just admits that he has no idea just like (laughs) how he doesn't know why they eat gnocchi on thursdays in rome (laughs) yep Uh, and i'm not surprised mike reynolds said that he was at book right live the panel he was on he's not going to make something up that's not his personality yeah and he'll give a he'll give a guess but he'll say i don't know yeah and then he does speculate it probably has something to do with nielsen which uh book scan which i guess it could maybe um why would it matter with nielsen i don't why i can't think of a because so the the new york times bestseller list comes out in the sunday book review Mm mm-hmm so why would Tuesday? And, why would that help Tuesday? Yeah, that those, doesn't make any sense. Those titles tend to get revealed online now, like on Friday. So we usually know what's going to be on the Sunday bestseller list before Sunday. Um, it's, yeah, I think uh, the real uh, answer the is hand, that maybe there was no good reason, and so the real answer yeah. is no one knows. Is there? Can you think of any reason to do it differently? Would there be any reason to like if we, you know, if we were book czars? Oh, I want to be a book czar now. <laughs> oh. Kind of like they, do, the NFL is a commissioner that can just like do stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, I was going to say, do we get to write the job description for book czar? Well, I, I, it's, I'd, I'd say you aren't the czar if you don't get to. True. That's not really the czar if you have to do what someone mm-hmm. tells you. That, that's not how czars work. Um, <laughs> well, I'm sorry. Anyway. I'm not up on all the czar rules. Well, I know. I may, I may have delusions of grandeur. I'm not sure. But <laughs> say we were the book czar and czarina here. Um, what do we do? Is there any reason to do a different day? I, I don't. Can no? you think of any reason? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, especially uh, now with the with how prevalent Amazon is and the availability of same day and next day right. delivery, it seems like it wouldn't really matter. If you had the thing that the people wanted to buy, if you had the book, then you could pick any date and they would buy it on the date that they wanted it. Um, right, 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 right. I don't know. I mean, it's so I kind of love that no one knows what the reason is. Like, it's so mm-hmm. publishing to just be like, well, this is the way we do it. it it's we do it that way because we do it that right. way. It, it's, it's a tautological ontology um, for this. I, I can't think of any other reason. Like, I know book. You, you've worked in a bookstore, too. And I know bookstore sales tend to, you know, Thursday, Friday, Saturday crescendo for the week and then by sunday afternoon they're starting to fall off and monday and tuesdays are dead so it does make some degree of sense to do some non-sales work on mondays right yeah you know that's probably the slowest day of the week so it kind of works out that you're getting new books open and putting them in the system and shelving them and doing new table displays and everything for tuesday on the buyer side i don't know that it really matters because you come in on thursday or friday like new this week doesn't matter. It doesn't say new today. No. Um, and increasingly, and, there are like non Tuesday releases yeah. pretty frequently on all the books. We're talking like the show comes out on Tuesdays, but pretty frequently, I find like I'm talking about a book that came out yesterday on Monday, or I'm talking about a book that's coming no. out later this week on Thursday. And some of the publishers just do that, but I don't know what their reasoning is. Like sometimes Norton titles come out on Wednesday or Thursday, and I have no idea why. Why would that be? That doesn't make any sense. And you can understand why uh, an individual title has a uniform drop date. You don't want, you know, you don't want some sort of right. uneven distribution of someone can get it earlier here and 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 that sort of like movies would always used to open on Fridays when I was a kid. But now that for big titles, they'll start doing midnight showings on mm-hmm. Wednesday night, basically. Mm-hmm. I guess 12 on one Wednesday morning is more typical. And that is so they can open up chairs over the weekend. You get all the the hardcore, you know, really excited people into the theater early so that the more casual people can get a ticket on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, which makes a lot of sense with books. You know, it's not in, – in very, very rare cases, is there a book that's released that's so hot that you might have trouble getting one? Um, really, it was like The Cursed Child. Some people this, this summer had mm-hmm. trouble getting one. 
Um, but I don't think that was widespread. But other than that, there's no reason to like, I guess, sort of spread it out over a couple of days or have some creep come in because you just have titles. Um, anyway, so our ongoing mystery, um, I guess, I guess we'll never, we'll never know. We'll just never know. There's never probably know. just not an answer. Probably not an answer. Well, there's, I mean, pro- it's probably one of those things. There was like a wave propagation, right? Where like some big piece of the pie decided to go to Tuesdays, and that you know there there was a certain gravity around mm-hmm. that date. It just yeah. made it easy. One of the theories in this piece is that somebody decided that they wanted to make it as easy as possible for all of their accounts to know when to put new things on sale. And so they maybe just arbitrarily said, okay, we'll make it Tuesdays. You know, like, so even if you get, even if you've got your box of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child and it's sitting in the warehouse or the back room of your store or whatever, by Thursday, you can't put it on sale when you receive it. We want uniformity. So we're just picking the date of uniformity and it's going to be Tuesdays. And right. And then you go backwards to like, oh, and that makes it easier to get things shipped to the West Coast and new music comes out on Tuesdays and these other pieces. Right, 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 right. Yeah, but it must have been like, it's probably Random House's fault. It was probably like one of the biggest publishers being like, this is what we're doing now. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, and I guess the other thing too is then if you're deciding when to release a book, you're like, what are my Tuesdays? Right. You know, you just sort of, you know, I wonder if there's some sort of game theory stuff going on at a publisher. Maybe Norton's figured it out to some degree. Like, if you take up some of the space on a Thursday, Mm. right? You can get review coverage and news that drops today, something else like that. Because it does have, and a lot of, that's only 52 Tuesdays, right? I mean, there's only, well, could there be more than that Tuesday? I guess it depends on where the, the, the days fall. But there's only so many Tuesdays in a year. And so you have all of these new releases trying to, to shimmy for them, right? We, yeah, one thing we find is, especially in when we're doing advertising, they have release days. And we only have so many things that happen on a Tuesday. And we've been done a good job and people have been understanding of like do it over the week, week before, so people know about it. But it does seem that's a lot of coherence and mm-hmm cohesion that maybe isn't necessarily and, good for everyone. And they don't it. spread things evenly across the Tuesdays. Like, no, think, no. Like no. January 3rd and January, I think it's the 17th are my, are the two big Tuesdays mm-hmm. in January. There are all, there's always like one huge Tuesday in September and one huge Tuesday in October. And like fall is the in big. May, there's a, like the first yeah. Tuesday in May is often like, a very popular Fall one, yeah. is the big season of big new books. And they're, they will cluster them all on like one or two Tuesdays, which I think would add so much noise to trying to create signal yeah. around particular right. titles that you're trying so. to sell. I don't know. I don't know how that happens. At this point, I do think that that is a loop of like, well, our sales history on the second Tuesday of yeah. September for the last 20 years is really high. So we're just going to schedule everything that's big and good for the second Tuesday in September and continue to have big sales when they're not maybe controlling for particular interest in each title um, yep. or you know the best way to do it. it is, it's really strange um, when Lib and I are scheduling all the books looking at weeks and some weeks it's like, well, there are 50 books that we could talk about this right. week and we would be happy to recommend all of them. And other weeks it's like a struggle to come up with four each. So of, strange. Of new titles. And I just don't understand, especially with the change in retail going so heavily yeah. online, why releases of things aren't more spread out. Cause to my knowledge, it's not like the gap is only announcing new clothing items on Tuesdays, and what there's one Tuesday in September where all the new things become. Uh, at least we're not sophisticated enough consumers of those products to know. Yeah, uh, if I'm just they are. I, yeah. To my knowledge, there might be, but like I've I've worked clothing retail, and there was never like the new bootcut jeans cannot be sold until Tuesday, along with this yeah, T-shirt and this other a, thing. It was like we got these jeans in, let's sell them, and then when the T-shirts come in, we'll sell those too, and. Uh, it's so it's it's very strange to me. You know, we, we're both. Um, um, well, I'm now almost done with the Undoing Project by Michael Lewis, which is a December sixth release date, which is you know flies in the face of what we just said. Mm-hmm. It's also Norton, so they are not willing to. <laughs> they're they're not unwilling to try something different. But it just shows you like Moneyball for book publishing. Maybe people are doing these stats behind the scenes, and we don't hear about it. I kind of don't think they are. But like, do the do the seasonal book. You know, does do the books released on May second actually do any better than ones released on August eighteenth, which is a dead zone, right? Mid August right. is a. Do they actually sell any better, or do they not? You know, do they um, do the see the what if it's Tuesday or day of the week or pricing or all this stuff? I just feel like publishing is so 
Ebenezer Scrooge with data mm-hmm. into public that either they think what they have is real valuable or they don't know. And I think both you and I know how Nielsen works and what it does and doesn't catch. And Amazon, which is 60% of the U.S. book market, doesn't give a lot of data. So you have all this – PRH could get data but only for its books or through Nielsen for other publishers' books. So there's no there's no data set that's mutually agreed upon as representative. Right, yeah, because uh, what you would – what you'd really need is like this is all the titles controlled on like a one year rolling sales history or the sales history of the last 15 years because at least that you could do month right mm-hmm. you could do month right to some degree do the but on the other hand they're also then placing the books they think are going to sell mm-hmm. right and in those slots and so the effective marketing budgets are not and yeah. right yeah, I guess you could control maybe for marketing budgets, but then you'd need marketing budgets for other publishers' titles, which you're never going to get. Yeah, the problem – like PRH would have to do it because they're 50% of the industry, so they're probably – you know, that's probably a representative sample, but they have to get them for them all. Yeah, the data scrooging is really the problem there. Like the reason you could do Moneyball for baseball is that all those stats yes. are available and anybody who – watch the games. Right, and yeah. anybody with the time to go through them and come up with – uh, the time and the knowledge and to create statistical models could do it. Um, right. But you couldn't like you could you could have somebody inside PRH at this point who could do it. And it would probably be pretty representative um, or at least very interesting. <laughs> but Yeah, it is interesting that Moneyball that, you know, and Moneyball we're using a shorthand sort of evidence driven decision making. Right. Like mm-hmm. that's 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 uh, Billy Bean filtered through Michael Lewis filtered through Kahneman and Tversky. So it's like <laughs> three orders of uh, of attenuation away. But the idea is that you have real evidence. But the really the, the the fields to which that kind of thinking has been the most transformative is when there's good public data sets. Right. Because if you have proprietary or otherwise incomplete data sets, you can't you can't get a representative look. You yeah, just can't well, do it. I think that's the thing that we've had confirmed anecdotally um, in in many, many meetings over the last five plus years that we've been doing this with publishers is the frequency of asking the question, like, what's the metric that you're going to use to determine if this thing we're making together is successful? Um, What kind of data are you looking at from the past? Like, what kind of increase over the past are you looking for with this future project? And very often the answer is just, we have no idea. Um, Right. Or, well, it needs to seem better than the previous thing. Uh, So if there is somebody like hiding in the basement of Penguin Random House, crunching these numbers, I would be very surprised. But also, if if these numbers exist, those statistical Uh models are not making it down to like the rank and file decision makers. Um, You wouldn't think. Yeah, it doesn't seem that way. I mean, because they're they're not talking about having that information. It's really puzzling. Right. And, you know, um, actually the same episode we were just talking about that, that Jen Northington was guesting on, we talked about this book called The Bestseller Code, where these guys at the Stanford mm-hmm. Literary Lab were looking, you know, they were doing algorithmic assessments of the texts of books. And the data they were using to determine success was New York Times bestseller list, which we all know is also a compromised metric. Because the other thing you have about baseball or the stock market is price, you know, mm-hmm. sh- share price. And in baseball, it's wins. And with books, it's sales. But we also know that New York Times bestsellers don't map directly onto sales. Yeah, Like that's its own algorithm. So they're using an algorithm to predict an algorithm, which to me seems like that's turtles all the way down mm-hmm. uh, a little bit. So anyway, what are we talking about? I don't know. Books we got, we oh, got way if down. Books, if books came out on t- – like yeah. why are they doing – and it's, right. it, I guess we're just sort of viewed as like the thin of the wedge to this bigger issue of like – we don't know why we do things. Right. It seems like picking the day of the week for a book to come out and then, you know, the larger example of that is the the time of year or the title or the marketing budget or whether or not you put girl on the title, looping it all the way back to the beginning. It seems like there's a possibility of enough data that you could do some cross-checking and run some controls and look at the data and see even within just a big enough – I mean, these publishers are big enough, I think, most of them, the big five at least, you know, 9%, 10% of the market. That's a big enough sample – in most populations of whatever you're talking about to get a representative sample size. Mm-hmm. You're not 20 books. You, you have historical data for 50 years. It seems like you could do it if you want to. I'm just, I, I'm surprised that if it's, if I'm surprised it's not being done. If it is, I'm su- equally surprised that we haven't heard about it. Yeah. Cause we're, we pay attention. We talk to publicists, we talk to, to marketing reps. We don't do, do they have data analyst people? 
You know, do they have the guy that Jonah Hill played in Moneyball <laughs> some, something somewhere? I feel like they don't. Yeah, I feel like they don't too. And maybe because I'm fresh off of the Undoing Project and I'm thinking yeah. about all the responses that people had to Kahneman and Tversky. Like it right. was, people were very upset by finding out that all the reasons that they think they have for making decisions are actually irrational bad reasons and not good logic. And a lot of people didn't even want to entertain the ideas because no. they were afraid of what they would find out. And, this and it's is, the experts that always are the most resistant, right? Like right. it's the doctors, and, it's the professors, it's the analysts. Right? And yeah. this is one of the one of the things that I think is going on. Like publishing just does seem to be to like to sit on the data and it's not open and available. But also I wonder if there is a sense of like like that everyone knows that no one knows why it's Tuesdays. And everyone knows that uh, we talk about like this book was the big bestseller and it's so amazing, yeah. but that really it's because of the marketing budget. But and there's all these things that are that go unspoken. And if we were to hire a bunch of Jonah Hills and put them in the basements of all the publishing houses and have them crunch all these numbers, we would find out that a bunch of these things that publishing does don't yes. make any sense at all. And so yeah, we're just, book tours, cover I mean, it could be you, you don't even know what you don't know. Right. right. And so it's just easier to keep doing the things that you're doing because they're the things that you've always done than it is to take that scary risk of finding out that the reasons you're doing all these things are bad reasons. And I don't right. I'm not bashing publishing. I think this probably exists no. in most industries that there are just yeah. ways that it's done and where and people don't analyze them. It's like why most people don't go to therapy, you know, because, you know, right. you could benefit. But also, you know, that you would have to find out some stuff that you don't like finding out. So you just don't go. Um, I yeah. think, I think and it's, it's hard. And I think I th oh, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry to step on the end, but the other, the other, I guess the plausible deniability about it being applicable. And I think it's an, it's a real one. It's a naughty one. I don't know. How, but that there, you have the text in front of you, right? You have the actual words on the page and the stories and the complexity of the text is a bit of a problem mm -hmm. because they don't correlate to each other or crossing. That's why the bestseller code, they're looking for these sort of macro patterns and chapter lengths and some sort of objective measurement of something that they compare things across. Whereas as readers, we know that's much more difficult. So in baseball, you can see, did that guy get on base or not? It's pretty simple, right? And you can see they got a double, they got a hit. It doesn't really matter. With, with books, the sales how do you know what the cause of that sale was? Right. Right. You don't, was it the marketing? Was it the time of year? Whereas baseball, it doesn't matter what the cause was because you're only trying to pick players. Like what, that player, it doesn't matter if the, the guy, you know, dribbles grounders through the third base side every time and it looks ugly. All that matters is that he got on base. Whereas with books, you're not, you're not picking from a bunch of players with track records. That you can sort of have it. You're picking from debut novels, manuscripts, things like that, and even author to author. Well, right. They're different. It's it's I, it is a. I'm I'm not trying to discount. It's a hard problem, but we don't have the we don't even have the first order. Yeah, data. like baseball is a simpler problem because right, you're just talking about the one dimension of how did this player do this thing, and is the player yes. really as valuable as our irrational brains want to make him seem? Right. But with books, you're dealing with the naturally irrational human who's making the decision about what to pub how to publish the book when to publish the book how to price it what to put on the cover should there be girl in the title should there be a flower should it be blue like all of those yeah. things based largely on guessing uh, and then mm -hmm. the decision making on the second order is the customer that they're trying to sell that thing to who is an equally naturally irrational being yes yes Right. And that's not just as. But that's I guess you don't like a, it doesn't matter to you if the customers are rational because the thing you're trying to measure is wins, which is sales. Right. Right. So in a way, it doesn't matter if the customers are rational. You just need to know the nature of their rationality. Yes. Like maybe if you know you make books yellow and they sell eight percent more, mm -hmm. you know, just as a random example, that could be the truth. But you you don't know if you don't do the studies. And I, we think I'm guessing that's not out there because you could even use the incomplete data of Nielsen. Like maybe that's represented enough. I don't know. Maybe, I, I'm not good at statistics. I don't I'm not I'm not proficient enough to be able to say here's what here's what BookScan can provide versus the larger data set that we know exists. Is that enough that you could make some claims about stuff? Because what you can do, you could look through catalogs, say you can you get release dates that are public. Um, you have book scans, you get that publishing data, and you get the cover, and the texts are public. Mm -hmm. you know? So the upshot and here you, is if you are in a master's in publishing program and you have a knack for statistics, here's your thesis. Oh, yeah, do something. <laughs>
do something. Um, very interesting. Uh, we can do two. You want to end there? I mean, we're, we're that at feels an hour. Like such a good wrap up of the year <laughs> and really our yeah. life on the literary yeah. internet. Let's end there. And, uh, Let's and end there. with our final shout of congratulations to what started in 2015, but is a 2016 story of the like massive bestsellerness of Milk and Honey by Ruby Cower. Yes. I think we agreed that that's sort of our underdog story of the year. Mm hmm. Hundreds of thousands of books Milk and Honey has sold. Um, it's a 2015 release, um, but um, it apparently doesn't matter if it released the year before because it had this other, speaking of other vectors of success right. that you know publishing can't account for, um, no one knows. And we have we had people write in said Tumblr and YouTube and social media. Um, word of, word mouth. of mouth is the big catch-all phrase we use mm -hmm. for we don't know, um, which is, you know, it's it's uncertainty is good. You have to know what you have to say when you don't know things. But congratulations to Milk and Honey. Um, and Andrews McNeil is the U.S. publisher, I yep. believe. Um, and all of you that wrote in, also when we talked about that, a lot of you wrote in, said I read it and someone recommended it to me or saw it on Tumblr or Instagram or whatever. And it's, it does seem like it was a social media story. She had a social – and I mean that's not to say the content and you know, the actual book itself isn't great. But it got enough momentum to break through and become something that people – people that don't read poetry regularly – have to be buying this to sell 500,000 copies right. of the year because 500,000 people don't buy poetry, you know, regularly in a given year. Um, yeah. And next week we're going to do our 2017 predictions, kind of state of the book world. You know, where are we? What are we looking for? What we like to see happen? And maybe we'll, maybe we'll really make use the conceit of books are like mm. what we'd like to see. What would we like to see in the book world if we could sort of wave scepters? And and I was going to say, do I get like a scepter or does the Tsarina get a tiara or something? You know, I, I need an think, accessory. I think I think the the mark of true power is you need no mark of true power, right? <laughs> but I want that a mark of true power, Jeff. In, you show up in sweatpants, and I haven't shaved in a few <laughs> days, and yet what I say still gets done. That now that's power. Well, we're going to be recording in the middle of our uh, holiday vacation week, so the yeah, sweatpants right. are a given, and the whiskey is a probable. Yeah, the, the magic sweatpants of do what I say will be being worn. <laughs> um, and that with that, thanks so much to Playster for sponsoring the show. Do go check them out. Um, and also, go enter that giveaway, bookwrite.com slash bn. Check out our newsletters there. Sign up for something. I think you know this is one way we found with the big site and the big audience we have now to sort of separate some of the content into buckets that you know we write about a lot of different things, but you might be especially interested in romance or science fiction and fantasy. So this is one way to get, you get you know dedicated, tailored content to those different genres. And we thought about a lot of different ways of splitting up, and genres still make sense. You know, that's 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 one of the ways. But you can also get book deals and giveaway. You can get a we have an, we even have a newsletter that's just for giveaways like this. If you just want to find out what we're giving away, we do give away a bunch of stuff every week. You can find that there too. All right. We'll talk to you. I guess you'll be hearing this um out there podcast world in twenty seven or no, you'll hear yeah. this one in, in, in um twenty sixteen. So we got one more. We'll talk to you uh in twenty seventeen for the next show. Happy All right, holidays. Thanks for, bye.